to me, and to me, that's what spirituality is all about. It's how we think, what makes us think about what and how we can connect that to um, things that we encounter in our life. That's what spirituality means to me. And that's what walking in the mountains provides me with. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, and as always, I'm delighted with today's guest to introduce himself. Seth, please go ahead. Thanks, Maurice. Uh, my name is Seth Quigg. I was born and raised in North Carolina in a town called Wake Forest. Uh, my background is in recreation management, technical photography, and international adventure travel. Um, so for the better part of 20 years, I worked for two companies. Um, one is called the National Outdoor Leadership School. And so that's based in the United States and Wyoming. And we specialize in taking groups of students out into wilderness areas around the world, India, India, Patagonia, the Amazon, Wyoming, Alaska, the Yukon, Mexico, um, and teaching leadership skills and different varieties of um, travel. So for example, sailing, walking, backpacking, mountaineering, um, sea kayaking, um, and teaching a, a foundational leadership curriculum. Um, the other company I worked for was called World Challenge Expeditions, and they're based out of London, um, but I helped run the training department in Australia and New Zealand. And so World Challenge specializes in um, taking groups of high school students to different countries around the world on month-long expeditions that usually consist of an outdoor phase and a quote-unquote service learning cultural immersion phase. Um, so for the better part of 10 years, I worked for them. I still consult and work with them on, on occasion. Um, and in 2012, I went back to school um, and got a master's in cross-cultural studies within education and worked with both organizations to create an ethnographic inquiry curriculum where I would implement that into the world challenge courses in order to gauge the student's cultural competency, intercultural competency. Um, so I helped write the Knowles national elder leadership's cultural curriculum, and then developed this um, ethnographic inquiry, which was, it was phenomenal. It was fantastic. Um, and so in 2014, and I was on the road for 10 years, like I didn't pay rent anywhere. I didn't own, I didn't even have a phone, you know, I, mm. I had a truck in Idaho and, you know, a kayak and, uh, but didn't own anything is, you know, didn't pay rent. Uh, 2015, I moved back to North Carolina mm -hmm. um, and was teaching a class at the university, uh, Lee's McCray college, an outdoor education course. And um, 
was sitting in a woofer research wilderness first responder, which is the medical um, certification that you need to, to lead trips um, and met a guy who, and I had just got off the grand Canyon. I led a um, river trip on the grand Canyon and just returned back to Asheville and was sitting beside a guy who was starting a company. Um, it was kind of a, like a glamping type hiking company. And I, you know, was talking to him about that. I was like, Oh, well I can do that. And so I started working with him and we started killing it. Like we ran 40 trips that year. And so what it offered me, it was better pay, shorter amount of field time. Um, and I could actually like have a house, pay rent, have a partner, maybe get a dog, you know, open up that whole like residential type of, of living. Um, <laughs> at the same time, I got back together with an ex-girlfriend from undergrad at Appalachian state and she moved out and she was getting, she was working in Colorado. And so I, I, at that time I was also working in Ecuador. So came back from Ecuador, got in my truck, drove to Colorado and, um, ended up writing the owner of the track of the hiking company, a proposal to start an international branch. And so we created an international branch um, and it took off. So we we were running trips in, in Chile and Patagonia, mm. um, Nepal, Tanzania, Vietnam, the Alps, Canada, all over the world. Um, and so I owned this company. They brought me in as a partner as well. Yeah. And so I was owner of this um, travel company. It became a travel company. First, it was just a like domestic hiking company. Um, and we and I ended up making up a, a travel company. Um. And so, yeah, in like six months, I was kind of like a international vagabond leading expeditions to, you know, having a girlfriend, having that dog, being a business owner, um, living out in um, the mountains of Colorado. And it's quite, quite powerful how that manifestation mm. came through. Um, and so, yeah, for the better part of, of four years, 2015 to 19, I led a lot of the expeditions, right? So I would yeah, travel yeah. around and make sure they were off the ground, make sure everything was going good. Um, but there was one thing that was missing personally mm -hmm. um, from this is some some aspect of philanthropy, right? So we'd be going to Nepal and we were just doing, you know, just running tours. We weren't doing anything for the people. Um, and that's something that I had gotten through world challenges like man if we're if we're traveling to madagascar borneo wherever we should be hosting a cultural immersion experience with a community to do something good mm -hmm. um and so 2000 the summer 2019 i met um john Salsinger and sunga jung the founder and ceo of empowered at mm -hmm. the outdoor retail show in denver and, and, and just for the listeners, a reminder that Sunga has been a guest on on this podcast as well. So if you haven't listened to the pod, you know the episode with her, I would definitely recommend it. She's an absolutely great person, uh, remarkable. So uh, yeah, go yeah. uh, on. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. So I met those two June summer nineteen, and was yeah smitten with them. Loved the energy they had. Loved mm -hmm. what they what they're all about. So they, so empowered creates these solar lanterns. And so we ended up co-branding two expeditions. Um, one, the first one was in association with backpacker magazine as well, uh, where we took 15 of our clients. We worked at a school for four days and deployed over 300 of the empowered Lucy lights 
the solar lanterns because you know the school's completely off the grid, no electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we took the guests on a 13-day trek. And then subsequently we raised twenty thousand dollars, put a solar panel on a Maasai school in northern Tanzania mm-hmm. um while taking my guests, and we de- deployed over 900 of the Lucy lanterns and mobile chargers. You know, the kids live like 10 kilometers away from school, so they have to walk there mm-hmm. and back. And usually at nighttime, it's it, it can be dangerous. So, um, yeah, we we deployed those lanterns and then took the guests to climb Kilimanjaro. So it was this kind of adventure philanthropy model, um, which was wildly successful and it, it felt right to me. It wasn't wasn't completely in line with what my my partner wanted to do at the time, um, but it was what we needed to do. It's what I think it makes sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I got back to Colorado, January, 2020, ended up selling the shares of my company um, okay. like two weeks before COVID, which was uh, mm-hmm. uh, quite serendipitous and luck- lucky in, in reflection. <laughs> um, and yeah, so COVID hit, it just demolished the international travel um, industry and international travel is, you know, completely was shut down for what a mm-hmm. year or more in some some places around the world um during that time i went back you know i worked in the construction industry here in my little mountain town that was um yeah. the only thing going on so that was that was good to be able to make some ends meet and then went back to Knowles and worked um worked a couple courses with them summer 21 and then i was talking to john and sanga um and they mentioned they were looking for someone to help run the impact part of empowered. And mm-hmm. I was like, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep my ears open and let you know if I hear of anybody. And then about a month later, I was like, huh, I think I'm your guy. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a phenomenal ride. I, um, so empowered is a small team, 15 people based in Brooklyn. Um, we're all remote, but it's COVID. Um, and the business model such where, we sell in the developing the developed world for a much higher margin and that allows us to then subsidize for emerging markets um, mm-hmm. so impact we can knock off 60 to 70 points off of the retail price to be able to to get the these goods into the hands of the ngos that we work with and so we work with 700 over 700 ngo partners um, such as doctors without borders save the children world central kitchen uh, we also work with Amazon Disaster Relief, Good 360, Church World Service, mm-hmm. um, and then some of the small ones, you know, like tons of grassroots organizations around the world in Papua New Guinea and Australia and all over. Um, and so jump, me coming on board with Empowered is like, yeah, like I have the the opportunity to, to improve the quality of life for people that um, need it. And so my goal is to get mm-hmm. lights in the hands of people that need it around the world. And it's, it's interesting thing, right? Like it's, it's hard for Westerners to conceptualize what it's like to live in darkness Mm. permanently. Like not many people really understand it. Um, But through travel and, um, you know, you can understand what, you know, how people really live. Um, We also Mm. respond to the disasters and natural disasters and human-made disasters. We've got 90,000 lights into Ukraine. Thus far, 30,000 to Turkey for the earthquakes. Like all day today, I've been responding to uh, Morocco, the earthquake that hit Morocco. And we've just got 4,000 lights on the way to, to Marrakesh. 
um, High Atlas Foundation and Amazon. Um, so be, having the ability to create these kind of strategic partnerships in order to to do good is it's so fulfilling. And our communication is fantastic. You know, that's like a big thing when you work virtually. It's like we have to have phenomenal communication. And like, how do we do that? Um, so the team is great. I'm psyched on it. Um, we're doing good things. Um, it also has, you know, to me, I look at this as like a, an entrance to the humanitarian sector and what it looks like, what, like, what is the humanitarian sector all about? You probably, I mean, you've been in it for 25, 30 years, Maurice, you could tell me more, but it's, it's allowed me to get, to gain a lot of mentors that, you know, have worked for the IOM United Nations for 20 mm. years and work, you know, people that work for Norwegian Refugee Council and to actually understand what, what is this humanitarian sector and what's going on and how are we responding to it? And what are the, you know, what are the challenges and what are the innovations happening with technology and climate change? And it's quite thought provoking. Um, and so that, that, takes up the majority of my time. I have an amazing partner who's in law school and, you know, I've had my finger in the travel industry. I'm a member of the ATTA, the Adventure Travel Trade mm-hmm. Association, which is kind of the governing body of international travel and tourism. And, you know, um, kind of been watching it and have a lot of contacts and understanding the challenges that that, that their, that industry is facing. But I'm launched, um, my partner is helping me launch a new company um that's called the karuna project and so karuna is the sanskrit nepali word for compassion and so we the the vision of the karuna project is to bridge the humanitarian sector with tourism with the travel and tourism industry and how we leverage both of those to then make a positive impact on the on the people where we take tourists so we have Mm -hmm. a first expedition in nepal in november got 15 guests um, and I support this school outside of Kathmandu. And so we will be visiting the school. Um, I also have this little side apparel company called Himalayan Mountain Gear. And so I sell puffy jackets in my town to businesses. And then we co-brand the, the jackets and then 50% of the profit goes to the school. And so we're doing a, a needs assessment in October, November of the school. And seeing what they need, what they want, how, how this can be sustainable and responsible. Uh, and then, um, yeah, we'll visit the school and um, ha- we haven't quite figured out how to w- exactly to deploy this, the funds, you know, it might go to an NGO. Um, you know, I, we're still, still doing our due diligence on that. Um, but then we're going to Everest region on a, on a two-week trek um, of the three passes there. And so that's the beginning of the Karuna project. And it's got wild wow. demands. Yeah, we've got mm-hmm. a lot of demand. People are all about it. Um, and Empowered will be a big part of that. They're going to sponsor and we'll be able to prov- provide some solo lights. Like I, I was an ambassador of Empowered before I started working with the company and would take solo lights on all of our adventures and um, hand them out where, where it seemed responsible. That, that's that's pretty amazing. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of the listeners now are kind of, where does he find the time? 
while while listening to you, you know, I I, I heard uh, you know entrepreneurship, uh, adventures, and empathy, um, and and I, I I just wondered. I'm I'm sure the listeners also are interested in that. You know, where did you grow up, and and how did that go, and that how did that influence ultimately, you know, the life that you decided to, you know, Great to question. So I was I was actually adopted um, around the age of like eight months, I believe, um, by two phenomenal humans, the best people on the planet, um, in a little town called Wake Forest, North Carolina. And my father was a professor at UNC Chapel Hill for thirty years. My mother was a uh, the chair of the Wake County School Board. Um, so education was always a a priority in our family. Um, however, with that being said, I was not a traditional student and struggled to sit still in class every day and stare at this person talking. Um, and that, I mean, you could even say that's true now. <laughs> you know, like I, and um, I think a lot of human beings, it's not, <laughs> It's not natural, but anyway, so I grew up, yeah, North, in a suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and then a pivotal point was that I went to college in at Appalachian State University, which is in the mountains. So there I started like getting more into the outdoors and hiking and camping and river sports. And so my sophomore year of university, I did a semester abroad with the school that I had taught for, Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School. And so this was a 90-day course in Kenya and Tanzania. So we spent a month climbing Mount Kenya. We spent three weeks trekking through the Ngorongoro Conservation Area, which is, I don't know if you know that area, but it's like walking in the Serengeti, like very, very dangerous. That is no, that is not offered anymore. Mm -hmm. um, we're all in a stampede of Cape Buffalo. Okay. Um, and then three weeks sailing Swahili Dows up um, on the coast of Kenya. And so that was like the ultimate pivotal point where I came back into the States and was like, okay, I think I know what I need to do with my life, you know, because it incorporated um, culture. Um, far off culture from what I knew growing up in North Carolina. Um, and it, it incorporated adventure, you know, what that meant, how did that, how does that um, build um, human character and development? Um, and then, yeah. So that was like the ultimate pivotal point of like, all right, here's the deal. This is what I need to do. And then it just kept scaffolding on itself um, to entrepreneurship and to thinking outside the box, thinking critically. and. Mm -hmm. Um, thinking about the world, uh, and, and how we can show up to make a positive impact. Cause a lot of adventure is based around, um, mm -hmm. especially international adventure. It's like, you can't just go to Nepal or Tanzania or Indonesia and, and do it alone. Like you're with the people. And so I, you, I, you know, when I first started this, I was, you know, chasing the outdoors, I would go climb. 6,000 meter peaks and go run, you know, I was a guide on the Zambezi river and Zimbabwe, Zambia. And, but it, ultimately it's all about the people. That's, that's my conclusion now. And, you know, there's no event. You, you're not going to go on an adventure by yourself. Some might, some do, but to me, it's all about the connection that we get with different people around the world. 
Um, and that's what, that's what, um, motivates me to do what I do now. Hmm. Um, no, so that's, you know, it, it's fascinating. So, so, um, tell us a bit about, um, you know, these, these tours. So, so where do you, how do you find people then? Um, you know, and, and, yeah, how do you work then the group dynamics? That's also important, right? Because you, it's not the normal walk through the park. Yeah, I mean, you're going through remote places, and and uh, so you know, people need to be fit, and and yeah, tell a bit about it. So I, 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 you know, leading these trips for World Challenge and Knowles for the you know 15 years, I started developing relationships with people all around the world, and those people run businesses. And so the whole international adventure travel model is B2B, right? Like I'm not going to go to Nepal and incorporate a business. Um, I'm going to hire my friend's co company. And so what it looks like is I, you know, I hire my, my partner's company and then I add my value and that's how, that's how we sell and get clients. Um, and so a lot of the value is in my past experience and in, like you said, group facilitation and what I bring to the table, bringing authentic connection, connecting my clients with local people. Um, but yeah, it's not a walk in the park and a lot of things can go wrong inherently. Um, one of the biggest and most foundational aspects of running expeditions is um, talking about expectations up front. You know, what I expect of my guests, what the guests expect of me, what do we expect of each other? Um, Incur really getting that out there. And that's, you know, it's more important with students. So then you can go back after the expectations, you know, aren't met and say, Hey, remember when we, we talked about this and signed this document. Um, but the majority of my adult clients are easygoing. They want to have fun. They want to connect. They want to be awed. Um, they want to work hard and, but they don't want to make decisions. Right. And so decision-making and, and risk management is, is something that a leader needs to have um, if leading these types of trips. Hmm. I, I well, you know, I, I find it actually embarrassing to start talking about this because you know you you uh, you're so fit and you're so used to you know walking and going left and right. But th this particular podcast is a is a spin-off of a hundred mile walk that I've been doing since 2012. Uh, to raise awareness and and funds to end hunger, poverty, and uh, injustice. Um, I am still going to ask the question: If if you would be asked to walk 100 miles for a cause, uh, so that means uh, in 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 a week, so 15 to 20 miles uh, per day, which cause would you walk, and why? That's a great question. I think what I would need to know more is like who is who is the cause directly benefiting? Um, and I would want to know them and if they could per participate in the walk. Also, I think that like having, having that person's skin in the game of like, cool, like what, you know, let's, let's take my, my school in Nepal, for example, like, all right, we need, a, we need to dig a well that's going to cost, you know, $20,000. I'm going to walk across the country in Nepal to raise this money, but you're going to come with me. And, and, and that needs to be, 
first and foremost, that needs to be something that they want, right? Like I'm as a Western privileged person, I don't need to go and say, here's your cause. I'm going to walk because of this cause that I think that you need. So I think that needs assessment is like the most important thing that, that um, needs to be done. And then those people need to, to show that they want the cause just as much as we do. And then we help if that makes sense. Um, But I think it ultimately has to do with like relationships for me. um, Like I would walk across Nepal if my school could get, you know, ABC or whatever they want slash need, whatever that needs assessment Mm -hmm. needs assessment done by both parties comes to conclude. Um, all day. I would love to, love to do it. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you're talk, uh, talking about, you know, uh, life, um, because that's, well, you know, when, when I do the walk, I am often accompanied by uh, people from the local community or other uh, folks that they invite. I mean, you know, Sunga. Um, I invited for the walk that I did uh, when I walked through uh, New York. Um, so, you know, you start talking about wh- why do you do this walk? Um, why are we on earth? Um, what drives you? And so many of those conversations that start while walking and then also virtual walks, um, they are about religion and spirituality. They end up about uh, you know, that particular topic. And then also, what is the next generation doing? Um, oh, they are not that religious. Um, yes, they are religious, others say. Uh, um, no, the others say, because they are more spiritual. They don't really believe in institutionalized religion. And so, so my question to you is, what do you see happening among youth in your community in relation to Yeah, great question. Can I, I want to talk about the first part of what you said, though, with, with walking. Like walking is one of the most cathartic and like awe-inspiring things that human can do. And it's so natural for humans to walk. Like that's what mm. humans are made for, right? And so are you familiar with uh, Mahali Chachmahai's um, theory of flow? Like a lot of times we get into this flow state where mm-hmm. – where we can really start to think critically and start, you get to the point where you're so present in the present moment, um, managing risk, making sure you're stepping right. Um, that you can, that nothing is impossible, especially when it comes to like walking in the mountains or, you know, mountaineering or climbing or something like that. Um, skiing is a great example. Um, but you get to be present, ultimately present. And that can, I think that can, um, well, it's good for good for your physical, mental, and spiritual. You know, that's how I feel. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So walking, I think, is is I mean, it's where I've developed some of the best relationships in my life. Um, oh, so yeah, I live in a small mountain town, um, Crested Butte, in Colorado, um, and I think my biggest concern with our future generations is over just the idea of respect. Um, And I compare that to a lot of different cultures around the world, right? Um, Specifically in Asia, Africa, South America, where your young people, no matter if you're related or not, will call an older male uncle 
or a female auntie, you know, that's a term of respect. Um, so for example, you know, I could be driving down the highway and a you know, teenager might flick me off with the middle finger. And um, just the the overall absence of respect, I think, is the my biggest concern um with our future generations. And you know, we don't we're a new country, right? I mean, the United States is born out of entitlement from Great Britain. And um we're entitled. We're entitled to think that my way is the right way and that everybody else's is wrong if you disagree. And we don't have any kind of um cohesion in that. And I think that leads to disrespect. And now you you implement technology into the fold and what goes on on that with you know social bullying and um people, you know, can be disrespectful as it's okay. And I think that's a big concern. And so one one idea that um we're pursuing is to run trips through the Karuna project to Nepal with our school here, with the Crested Butte Community School and the Gunnison Valley Community School. Um, because you know, all the kids here they have the nicest skis and the nicest bikes and they drive the nicest cars, and yet a lot of them are in therapy, right? And then you look at my students in Nepal, and a lot of them have hardly any monetary means, but they have culture and they have respect and they have spirituality. And they have happiness for the most part. And so the idea with the Karuna Project was to create an exchange program where we take our students there. And then with the reciprocity, we bring the Nepali kids here. You know, for any rural Nepali kid to be able to come to the United States is a game changer in their life and trajectory. It could be that pivotal point that that I was so lucky to have when I was 20 years old. Um. And so that's a that's a big part of the Karuna project is creating these sustainable relationships that do serve the reciprocity of of travel. You know, I've taken thousands of students to different countries around the world and what and have never, you, you know, the local kids in Asia, Africa, South America, they never get a chance to go anywhere. So that's a that's a that's a goal. No, th- thanks for sharing that, uh, Seth. Uh, I, I'd like to push a little bit back, though, is is that, so I hear you say in terms of, you know, uh, the youth in your community, uh, you know, there is entitlement, uh, lack of respect, um, you know, and therefore, you know, exposing them to the communities, you know, in Nepal, for example, would be good for them. Um but how but my question came off out of you know in terms of how is it with youth and spirituality and religion i did hear you say you know the youth in nepal have have spirituality so so you don't see that then with the with the younger so, generation and, and i should community? be really clear like we our community is awesome and our kids are awesome and I, you know that was just those are some of my concerns but mm-hmm. All in all, like I think our our students and mm-hmm. um, community is fantastic. And when it comes to spirituality, I think a lot of our our students um, do get that from the mountains, right? Like we are surrounded by a national forest on three sides, wilderness mm-hmm. land. Um, and so I think a lot of our community mm-hmm. gets their spirituality through the mountains. Um, we actually have 
two pagan festivals that represent um, this, the changing of the seasons. One in the spring called Flaushank and one next week is called Vinatok. Um, but it's different, right? So, you know, in Nepal, a lot, they have organized spirituality and religion. Um, and I feel like in places where the geography is more extreme, the the spirituality um, is is right up there with it, you know? Does that make sense? So, for example... Yep. So yeah, for example, yeah, example. Like way high up in the mountains, um, a mm. lot more things can, can go wrong. N- nature is more present. I think, um, nature makes decisions for you. Whereas, you know, in the flatlands of the United States, nature isn't that much in control in some exam, in some cases it is. Um, but when you live in a in a environment that is quote unquote extreme for humans, um, I feel like spirituality um, plays more a part. Pushing a little bit back, uh, I would I would I would because I would like to understand because um, so I I think it's clear you know we, a lot of the youth in your community um it's is great fantastic but you have some worries and that's why it's you think it's good to expose them to another culture um like nepal uh, where the children there um despite the fact that they have less you you see more harmony there uh more respect somehow um because you're worried that some of the you know the youth in your community don't have that not everybody um so i'm i'm trying to get at are you saying that because of you know there is less religion there is less spirituality in your community no i would i wouldn't say that and i'm generalizing mainly on like the younger people like that's what i see within the united states is like a, the most more disrespect but um i think it i think it comes back to just the united states um and just, you know, with technology and the information that the youth are being subjected to, I'm not sure that um, religion or spirituality is conducive with, with all of that, right? Um, the idea with the Karuna Project, though, was, wasn't to say either, either culture of youth are good or bad or whatever, but we have lot, a lot to learn from each other. And that's the tagline is that we have a lot to learn. Um, mm. And through cross-cultural exchange, I think it's a, a, it's, it can be that pivotal point for someone to, to learn and grow and understand how to think, think critically. Now let, let, let me piggyback on that. And, and, and um, because I, you know, I think what you're getting at if I understand it correctly, and I did my homework a bit, is is that you know you're trying to connect communities. In this case, you know, young people from the U.S. with younger population in Nepal, and and you you think that through connection, you know, there can be learning, mutual learning, and mutual more mutual respect, etc. Um, that's also something that I hope that this podcast is contributing to connecting people, opening people uh, open to different perspectives. You know, maybe at the end you don't agree with uh, with Seth, but at least you understand where he comes from and and his, his story. 
Um, so what I try to do with this podcast is also kind of have a question where I connect you with the previous guest. So I would like to to ask you that, uh, to share that question with you. To the next guest, I'm going to ask him or her, what are you doing to put a dent in the universe? Great question. Um, I think, yeah, what I'm doing is, is exactly what I'm, I'm telling you. I think just day by day living, living, um, as a role model of, um, for empathy and for compassion and for learning and understanding is what this world needs. Like, I think if we could solve those problems within humanity, we would be a lot better off. And so, yeah, I think through the Karuna project, we're doing that. I think through empowered, we're doing that. Um, and yeah, being a force for good. What would be your question for the next guest? My question would be, if we're going to make a dent in the universe, how do we get a massive amount of people to walk around the planet for a certain cause? I would like to to go to something small, and and that is Steve Hartman of CBS uh, in the U.S. Uh, examined or is still examining how one simple act of kindness creates a ripple effect. And so I have two questions around it. What are your thoughts about a small, a simple act of kindness? And then the second part of the question is, if I would ask you to come up right now, you know, um, to commit to one simple act of kindness this week, what would you do? Yeah, I, I a thousand percent agree with Steve Hartman. Um, you know, a gesture like even saying hello, a smile, checking on somebody, making them feel included is extremely important. And I always try to do that wherever I am. Um, saying hello to people, making them feel, feel included, I think is is very important. Um, in the second part of your question, if you could ask, if you could ask me to, to do one act of kindness, what would I do? This week. Yeah. What would I do? Um, probably check on a, one of my friends who, uh, is a, a quad, a paraplegic and, um, yeah, take him out for dinner because I know he's going through a hard time. Okay. Hmm. Great. I, I hope you will do that indeed this week. Um, you know, I, li listening to you is, is, uh, you know, you, you really, you know, besides the, the, the travel and, and running a business, you work for a B Corp, so that is already, you know, a different type of, of company than the usual uh, uh, business, right? Um, so you really try to 
make this world a better place. I think you 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 know you've you've explained that to us. Um, now the world um, you know set together and said, okay, how how can we make this world more sustainable? You know, how do we do that? And as a result, they came up with 17 sustainable development goals. Uh, you know, uh, sustainable goal number one is end poverty. Number two is end hunger, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I always ask my guests, you know, what do you, have you heard about these 17 sustainable development goals? And um, if you have heard about those 17 sustainable development goals, what do you want the listeners to know about them? And if you don't know about them, that's also fine. But then I will <laughs> tell you, you where you can. Find I do know about them. I can't rattle all off. I rattle off seventeen of them. Um, but what I do know about them um, is that they're they're governed by the UN, um, and that they're a guideline and to help us move forward in a better way. Um, I think we could probably dissect each one and look at it and say. You know, what are the pros of this? What are the cons of this? And I hope that people are doing this already. Um, and again, I'm relatively new to the humanitarian sector. And so I'm learning a lot, but, and, and I'm skeptical of the humanitarian sector also, and how we're, how we're rolling these sustainable development goals out and um, what they really mean you know, in terms of, of making a, in, in terms of improving the quality of life for people around the world and the, the quality of, you know, the world itself. So what, what, what would you, so then to translate it in terms of what do you want the listeners to know about the SDGs? Is your, is your advice, you know, check them out and make up your mind for yourself in terms of, you know, what is being done and what you could do. Yeah, I think my advice would be where I'm at and it's, it's to learn as much as possible and to understand that there are always two sides to everything that's happening. Um, some, some for the better, some for worse. And so I think when we think about the humanitarian sector in relation to the SDGs, I think it's important to think about you know, the converse reactions in terms of like greenwashing and marketing ploys and branding everywhere. You know, I, I recently saw a, a, a an ad with like, you know, 50 young African kids with UN branded everything, you know, backpacks and lunchboxes. And I was like, what is, you know, why, why do we need to do that? You know, and so, you know, looking at it with a critical eye and analysis of like, what's going on here? Is it, is this a business? Are people, you know, how much are CEOs at the UN making? If they even have CEOs, <laughs> you know, um, just to, to, to examine it with a critical eye. And, um, but on the, on the opposite side, it's, it's super exciting, right? Cause we have, technology and we have these te technological resources that we've never had before um so thinking about how technology can intersect with the humanitarian sector is really exciting and i think it can aid aid people um all over the world 
And I, I have a, a mentor right now who's, who's doing some projects right. like that. Um, so yeah, there's, it's just, there's a side for every, for everything, you know? Okay. Just to, to remind the listeners, you know, they, they can find more information at globalgoals.org and you can find out, you know, that in 2015, not only the UN, actually, it, it's a lot of people from different sectors, business sector, uh, humanitarian sector, yes, but from all kinds of sectors came together and discussed and identified these 17 sustainable development goals. And in most countries, um, it's being implemented. And so what that means, for example, in, in my country, the Netherlands, um, you know, the different municipalities are uh, monitoring what they try, what all they are doing to contribute to those goals. And um, so it's not something that's only from the UN. It's something that we should own as, as a world. Uh, you know, we're all interconnected. And I think that's something that we've learned during the period of COVID, right? Um, so when, when people would go to this website, they will see that um, although, you know, those goals should be reached before 2030, um, only 15% of the global goals are on track, only 15%. And um, so, yeah, you know, COVID-19, cost of living, conflict, you know, all kinds of, of uh, reasons why we are probably not, you know, uh, on track. Um, but a growing group of people uh, is also saying, you know, one of the other reasons why we are not in, on track is that uh, we are not paying sufficient attention to the ability, skills and knowledge that we need as individuals or as communities. And so they did a, they did a survey and, you know, discussions and they came up with the inner development goals, five goals that are required that you should look at as an individual or as a community. So goal number one is being. Goal number two is thinking. Goal number three is uh, relating, collaborating, and acting is number five. So um, I don't know if you have heard about the inner development goals, but if you hear me talking about this, and again, for the listeners, they can go to innerdevelopmentgoals.org dot org dot org um does it make sense what are your thoughts when you hear this oh you know to change systems that are out there we need to also to work on ourselves and our communities you know in in the way we act and the way we collaborate the way we think the way we I, are i love it I, you know i wasn't aware of that until you and i met but i i absolutely love it i think it it lays a foundation to to build emotional intelligence um among humans you know that puts some structure there of like kind of simplifying emotional intelligence like here's here are the here are the steps that we need to take in order to like ha then have act real act actualization of how we show up right um play a part in the world mm -hmm. um so i think they're phenomenal you know it would be great if we could get the you know education department on board to to implement these across the United States. Mm -hmm. Um it would certainly help in in our our schools. Um and it would help everybody just have a an idea. I think you I think there are like kind of micro steps within those. But this is, you know, this is a very similar to the, the kind of curriculum that I would teach when leading students to different countries, right? Like let's talk about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about 
um, metacognition and all, all the things that kind of go into, to travel. And, you know, what you're doing is you're building emotional intelligence and character, character development. Um, and then you have a reference point to like, you know, if people never leave their own town, they're not going to know what's happening in the world. And so travel is just the catalyst for, for building emotional intelligence and learning, understanding. Um, but yeah, I love that idea. Um, Seth, you know, music is really important to me. So I, I, well, you know, for you, the art as well, I, I, I guess, you know, if I looked at your bio and the stuff that you've done. Um, so I always have a question about music. If I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that embodies for a big part who Seth, who you, what you are about, which song or piece of music wow. would that be? I also love music too, Maurice. And, you know, I'm not going to limit it to a song, but I will limit it to an artist and band. And that's got to be the Grateful Dead, specifically because they started with a structure and then learned how to think critically mm -hmm. and play outside of that structure and inadvertently created the jam band scene. Um, and so I think the ability mm -hmm. to, to, but they're my favorite, you know, you never know. They could go anywhere. You know, it could be something dark. It could be something light. It might go for 20 minutes, but it's all, um, it's present. It's being, they're present when you're playing that music. And when you listen to it, um, it just embodies freedom to me. And and so if I ask, I have to ask you, you know, pick one of their songs. Which um, song would it be? I will say Broke Down Palace. Okay, Broke Down Palace. Any special memories when you when you uh, uh yeah, it, it makes me pretty emotional. Um, but it's all mm. it's kind of to me it's all about transitions. Okay, you know, just to remind for for the to the listeners, and I don't know if you are aware, Seth, but um, we made a. A special Spotify uh, playlist, so all the songs that have been selected by my guest, you know, you can find there. So that that's uh, um, hashtag Walk Talk Listen when you go to Spotify playlist, and you will find songs that you know, uh, you know, from the classical music corner to rhythm and blues, hip hop, um, Grateful Dead will be added uh, now as well. So it's it's really cool and. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to the playlist because it reminds me, you know, about uh, the privilege and the opportunity that I, yeah, had to talking with such a wide range of of people. Um, so, so Absolutely. if you have time, you should should check that out. Yeah, any message, invitation, or question for the listeners? Um, I think a message would be. Keep walking, keep focusing on the positive and look for connections any way you can find it to me. And to me, that's what spirituality is all about. It's how we think, what makes us think about what and how we can connect that to um, things that we encounter in our life. 
that's what spirituality means to me. And that's what walking in the mountains provides me with. Um, and if you want to go on an expedition to Nepal, please contact me. These, these conversations always go fast. Um, but before we, you know, end our conversation, is there any question that I should have asked you and I didn't? Yeah, I, I think a good question is what's your, like, what's the ultimate goal here? Like, how, how are we going to, I mean, you, the world is moving fast and technology and climate change are changing how humans live all over the planet. So what, and one of my favorite questions is what does it mean to be human and alive on this planet? And there are a lot of different ways to live. Um, some people sit in front of screens all day. Some people hunt, some people boat, you know, there's a lot of different ways, but what does it all mean to be human and alive? So what does it mean to be all human and alive for you said? Let's put let's put that on the next the next person. <laughs> Change the question to that. <laughs> <laughs> you put it you you put a question already to the next person, I think. <laughs> yeah. This is the question I should have asked you. That's what you just told me. So I'm asking it to you. Yeah. Uh, my last question. You know, I think uh, you know, the the na most natural answer is that it depends, right? Um you know the old the old like victorian ideology of like we must produce we must produce we must get better or we must grow i don't think that's the answer um so turning back and maybe going full circle and and seeking indigenous advice and wisdom on what what do what do the indigenous people think what does it mean to be alive for them yeah i think that's that's an important question so, so maybe that's that's kind of a question you take with you the next time you go on an expedition, you know, for yourself and the group to work on. Um, I would like to thank you so much for your willingness to talk with me today and and you know share your experience and and wisdom. Um, yeah, good luck with with the new company. Keep on, uh, you know, doing the great work through Empowered as well. That's that's a great uh, company great people to work with um thank you yeah, thank for you having so me maurice and and all the best been a pleasure for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram